Most of you have at least heard the name, and you know Mark Kasson's ministry, Metanoia, through Tim McCracken, if not through Mark himself. But our friendship goes back to 2006 when he was my ruling elder at Sierra View. And I remember fondly some of our early arguments um, that he, he's changed my, my mind more than once. So um, that's, that's probably not something he even is aware of. But um, I'm thankful for our continued friendship. We, we run into each other uh, a couple times a year, either at General Assembly, Twin Lakes Fellowship, usually both of those, in fact. Um, so it's good to have you with us, Mark. Uh, what Brad failed to mention is that there's usually a, a glass of scotch or three uh, in our gatherings, but um, I do enjoy his friendship, and we have lots of good conversation at those uh, events. If you want to open your Bible, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. I, I did take some seminary classes. If you don't know, I was in prison for half my adult life, and I, I was blessed to take four courses from uh, Westminster Theological, or I'm sorry, excuse me, from a, a Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, but I didn't take the class on how to name your sermon. And so I noticed that this morning it was hammer time. I think that's a good title uh, for judges. But uh, my sermon is basically just the conversion of Saul. And so uh, let's uh, read the, the word here and see what God has to say to us, shall we? Uh, but Saul, starting in verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. This is the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. So the context here, if you understand it, uh, this man named Saul is uh, um, not a really nice guy. In fact, one would say he's the first terrorist of the church. 
He's, uh, and if you think that language is too hard, go, go back up a chapter to chapter 8, um, starting in verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen, the stoning. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So I want to get in your mind the type of man Saul was. That this, a lot of times we look at people in the church and we think, okay, what kind of people are they? Who are these Christians that we're surrounded with? They're good Christian folk, right? That's who we are. We're good Christian folk. But who were they before they were good Christian folk? Well, for Saul of Tarsus, he was a scumbag, a dirtbag, an evil, evil guy. I want you to get that in your heads. Just like if we were living in first century Jerusalem right now, Saul would come in here and drag you by the hair outside and take you to your execution. And he'd probably be, he and his men would beat you along the way. That's who this guy is. When you read about Saul, it says not only was he ravaging the church, but look at verse 1 of our text. He was still breathing threats and murder. You can almost get the sense of this guy who's just every breath he takes is about killing Christians. What image does that put in your mind? Who, who do you come to think of when you think of Saul of Tarsus? Do you think of the Pope? Maybe 600 years ago, right? Maybe, maybe one of the, one of the uh, executioners who was out uh, doing his bidding, uh, um, the people we would call the Spanish Inquisition, maybe one of those guys is going to put you on the rack and torture you. Or do you picture one of the modern-day ISIS men, the guys that are lopping the heads off of Christians? They line them up on the beach. You've seen the videos. And they chop off their head. That's who Saul was. He was no friend of the church and no friend of God's. And so that's the first thing I want you to think about is God is in the business of saving his enemies, even those that are killing his people. How do you think about ISIS? Are you praying for their salvation? Or are you praying that they get wiped off the face of the planet with one bomb? I'd like to see him converted because look what God did with Saul. He wrote half the New Testament. He, was, he planted more churches than any church planter I've ever heard of in a short span of time. He was running churches all over the place. Praise God. That's what God can do. So I want to look at a couple of things. Uh, drop down to verse 4. A very interesting principle here. Jesus appears to Saul on the road blinding light. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting the church? No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, why are you persecuting me? There's a very important principle there. To persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. If you, what does Jesus teach us in Matthew 25? He says that uh, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. And believe it or not, he's not going to do it based on whether you've read all of Calvin's commentaries and uh, uh, um, the Westminster Confession. No. 
He's going to separate the sheep from the goats based on whether you, he says, I was in, uh, 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 sick and you came to me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was hungry, you fed me. I was in prison and you came to me. He said, Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you uh, thirsty? And when did we do these things? He said, when you do to the least of these my children or my brethren, you do it unto me. Interesting principle there. To bless Christians is to bless Christ. To ignore Christians is to ignore Christ. To persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. Why is that, brothers and sisters? It's because we are in Christ. We are members one another of His body. Not only are we brothers and sisters, but we are, according to the Apostle Paul, eyes and ears, right? Can the eye say to the ear, I have no need of you? No. We're all members of His body. And so what you do to a member of His body is what you're doing to Him. That's why Paul later on writes, Woe unto any man who brings a charge against God's elect. It's God who justifieth. God will not hold him guiltless who does that. And so uh, um, think about it when we talk about other brothers and sisters of different denominations and different faiths. Let there be a little warning to us that we're talking about Christ. We have to be careful what we say and how we treat our brothers and sisters. Those claiming the name of Christ, those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. I want us to drop down now to verses nine through, 10 through 19. I'm gonna, uh, these are some of the most beautiful passages of all of Scripture. For those of you who know me, you may know that uh, Ephesians was my favorite book for a decade and a half probably. I lived in the book of Ephesians. I probably have read it 300 times easily. I've taught it multiple times, verse by verse. Uh, I love Ephesians, but in recent years, in the later years of my life right now as a Christian, I've been living in Acts and, and, and really studying the history. And, and I, what I found is there are little details in the Scripture that we often overlook, little tiny things that we can read through a passage and just read the history because Acts is history. And we might just read through it as though it's any other history and we miss some of the things. But I want you to think about the conversation that goes on here and what happens with Ananias. He says, uh, um, first thing Jesus says to, is, is uh, Ananias and his I love this, here I am, Lord. He raises, like, here I am, right? It reminds you of some of the prophets in the Old Testament. If you think in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, 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 God says to Isaiah, who's going to go to this people? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And, and you'll hear that theme over and over again in the Old Testament. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And Ananias says the same thing, here I am, Lord. He doesn't say send me. He just says, here I am, right? Well, then the Lord, what does the Lord say to him? He says, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So first he's like, Ananias, yeah, here I am, Lord. I want you to go to this guy named Saul. And then his response is, hold on, Lord. Got the wrong guy here. I don't really want to go. I've heard about this guy. He's a terrorist. He says, uh, uh, Lord, I've heard from, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. Are you sure you want me to go to that guy? Really? Him? Doesn't that kind of sound like Jonah? You really want me to go to the Ninevites? Really, those people? <laughs> I don't think so. Certainly you don't want me to go there. You don't want me to go to the people down in South Fresno? Really? You, you, you want us to go to the hood? You want me to go to, to Hatchet Peter, the prison? Really, Lord? No. <laughs> Come on. Those people don't need the God. They, they, no, he says go. So I offer to you, it's okay to wrestle with God. 
God may tell you to go to a really hard place. He may go tell you to talk to a really bad guy. And it's okay to wrestle with it. But what does Ananias do? He goes. Even though he's afraid. Just think about this for a second. They're living in a different time than we are. They're living in a time when God appears to them on the road. When God appears to them in his room, Ananias. I don't know about you. Has any of you, any of you had a vision where God just appears to you? He comes and hey, hey, uh, uh, Ron, here I am, Lord. Hey, I want you to go here. It doesn't really work that way, does it? At least not in my life. It hasn't really worked that way. So can you imagine if you're Ananias for a second? You're trusting this vision, this Lord who's appearing to you, that it's not a setup of some sort. Just imagine the fear. I don't know who the worst enemy of the church is right now, uh, um, Benny Hinn or who, I don't know who it is. But imagine if God wants you to go to that person who's been killing Christians. There was a guy when I was in Corcoran Prison, uh, there was a guy who came on the yard who had just gotten out of the hole 10 years in administrative segregation because he had killed a cellmate. Now imagine he's your new celly. You're like, really? I got to go in there with him? Really? How's that going to be? How's that first conversation going to go? Talk about walking on eggshells, right? You know the man's reputation. Well, Ananias knows his reputation. I wonder, I have to wonder sometimes, does Ananias know people that he killed? Were any of his family members in Jerusalem and persecuted? We don't know. The Scripture doesn't say. But just imagine the fear that it takes. God's not telling him to go to Japan and minister in a nice place or go to England and, and do, a, you know, do a church plant in England or Australia. He's telling him to go to the biggest persecutor of the church there is, a man whose reputation precedes him for being a murderous, no-good person. Go to that guy. And he answers the call. He goes. Now, the next part of this passage, that uh, uh, verses um, 11 and 12, are two of the most comforting and fearful verses of, of all of Scripture. This is what he says. He says, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Isn't that beautiful? God knows what street you're on, what room you're in. He knows exactly what you're doing. For he is praying, and he is seen in the vision. That's how wonderful God cares for us. He knows exactly where we are and what we're doing. One of the catechisms says that the very hairs of our head are numbered, that not one of them falls to the ground without our, our, the heavenly will of our Father. That's how much he cares for us. We're of more value than many sparrows, and he feeds them. Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. God loves us so much. He knows right where we are that ought to comfort us to no end. But it's fearful too, isn't it? That moment that you're going to sin, you're going to do something you know you shouldn't, God knows right where you are. He knows right what you're doing. He's right there with you. Let that be a warning to us. That we don't, we're never alone. God is with us. That's, that's who God is. You will be my people. I will be your God. That's the promise of the covenant, right? God is with us, Emmanuel. And if you're a Christian, he is with you always. Skipping down, I want us to take a moment to think about what it was like 
when Ananias gets to Judas' house. Imagine you're Ananias and you're taking the steps. <laughs> if you're like me, you'd be hemming and hawing, you'd be questioning, is this really what God wants me to do? Are you, you know, uh, you're, I might even have a little knife under my cloak or something just in case the guy turns on me, right? I want to be able to, de- to defend myself from this persecutor. Or maybe he's a super Christian with lots of faith and he just goes. Like he's one of those guys that I don't care, I'm gone. Right to it. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. It just says he goes. But imagine he's going and he opens the door. Now, now imagine for a second, you're not Ananias, you're Saul. Who knows how many Christians you've killed and hailed off to jail and then at their stoning? We know of Stephan, but there could have been hundreds. According to what Ananias says to Jesus, I've heard how he's been persecuting your people. So it wasn't just one. It was a lot. Maybe you, you had a vision. You still don't know who this Lord is. You know he's powerful enough to make you blind for three days. And you've been fasting and praying. And in your fasting and praying, you have another vision of this man named Ananias coming and laying hands on you, and you receive your sight. But you know what you don't know is what comes next. Is he going to lay his hands on you? You're going to receive your sight, and then he's going to kill you because you killed his family? That was the way back then, right? The laws allowed for that. You just don't know. So I can imagine this great and powerful uh, leader, Saul of Tarsus, I can imagine him being a little bit afraid, not knowing what's happening. What happens when I receive my sight? Are all these people that I was here to persecute going to suddenly be my friends? Is that, is that really what happens in the church? You're, you're here to persecute you one day, and the next day they become buddy, buddy? Hey, come on over and have a beer. I don't, I don't think that's what happens. Unless God's involved, which he clearly is. So Saul, uh, 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 he's there, and the most beautiful thing happens in verse 17. And laying his hands on him, the first word he says brother. Imagine that. Imagine you are Saul of Tarsus, enemy of God's, enemy of the church, and a guy comes in and says, brother Saul. That just wipes away any fear you might have. It wipes away, this familial term wipes away any problem. The reconciliation that goes on here is absolutely stunning. That that you are no longer an enemy of God's, but you're his child. You're no longer an enemy of this man's. You're his brother. Get the picture here. The victim is going to the murderer and calling him brother. The first word he says, this familial, loving term. How is it that sometimes we can't get along in our own churches? We can't get along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You know what I'm talking about. We don't get along sometimes. And yet this guy can go to to Saul And that's the first word he says. Jesus didn't tell him to call him brother either. He just did. Brother Saul. It's like the wall just melted away. And that's the ministry that God has, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, if you don't know, the gospel is not about God saving good people and making them better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about God taking evil people and his enemies and making them his children. And he does that through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. 
I was an enemy of God's for 21 years. I hated God, and I hated my neighbor. And one day, God sent someone to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit came into my heart, and I was changed in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. And God has allowed me to serve him now for almost 30 years. Praise God for that. And that's what he calls each one of us into. And there's an application here for us. If you were converted as an adult, you were no better than Saul. You were a hater of God and a hater of your neighbor. But now, through the blood of Christ, you're an Ananias. And God is calling out your name. And like Ananias, you ought to say, here I am, Lord. And God is sending you out into this world, into these neighborhoods, into these places, to represent him as an ambassador for Christ. To be salt and light into your neighborhood, into your shopping center, into your grocery store, into your doctor's office, into wherever you go. We ought to be Ananias' looking for Saul's. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like this? Lord, bring me someone today I could share the gospel to. I would love to just tell somebody about Jesus. Just show me who it is. How many of you prayed that? Anybody pray like that? Seriously? Am I the only one? Come on, raise your hands. If you wanted the Lord to show you. And then you know what happened? You walked out of your door. You got in your car. You went somewhere. And there were like a thousand people around you. And you were waiting for that neon sign to go, bam, that one. Bam, that one. Right? Well, in fact, the neon sign is all of them. All of them, all of them need to hear the gospel. Every one of them, every one of the Saul's needs to hear about Jesus. They need to have a blinding light that comes from you, you who are light. They need to hear that there's that Christ, God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's the gospel. That Jesus died for sinners and he rose again for their justification. It's a simple message. It doesn't take any guts whatsoever to tell somebody that. Hey, you know what? Jesus died for sinners. Are you a sinner? And he rose again for justification. Do you need to be justified? It's very simple. We make it hard. It's not. And that's our, that's our job. That's what Christians, that's what he's saving us for. To worship him and to tell other people about him. For the glory of his name, for the advancement of his kingdom, and I want to tell you, when God is advancing his kingdom, the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. And guess who the soldiers are? Us. We're the soldiers he's using. And the weapons of his warfare are not physical. They're spiritual. They're words. They're the Bible, the scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves God's enemies and makes them his family all for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Our great God and our Father, we do thank and we praise you.